Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're getting a chance to sit down with our first international guest, Robert Deagle of Evolve MMA. Robert is a brown belt other than the John Danaher system, and we're very lucky to get a chance to talk with him and talk everything jujitsu. Before we get started, don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you like what you're seeing and you want to help support our featured athletes, coaches, and guests, make sure you subscribe and don't forget to share. We'll be doing a special giveaway for $100 to Canadian Protein. All you need to do is be a subscriber to the YouTube channel and make sure you leave a comment on the video. We'll be announcing the winner after March 1st, so make sure you keep an eye out. We are powered by Spirit Leaf Waterdown, located at 64 Hamilton Street North in Waterdown, Ontario. If you're looking for Canada's top cannabis stop, look no further than Alex and his crew at Spirit Leaf. With his knowledgeable staff, you're going to be able to find all the THC and CBD products of the highest quality. Online curbside pickup is available, and don't forget to like our Instagram and their Instagram, and you'll save some money. We are also sponsored by Project XCard. Project XCard is giving the gift of jiu-jitsu. They've been helping at use with get connected with jiu-jitsu throughout the GTA and continue to do so. If you know anyone who would benefit from the gift of jiu-jitsu and their, make their, get into their lives and make sure they can contact us or Project XCard and we'll help them get started with some amazing instructors. Thanks everyone for watching and listening and enjoy the show. Andrew Como. That's yeah. the first line. Never gonna happen. This. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, whatever. Whatever you guys are ready, and, and uh, I'm sure you know it. It should be good. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. We're recording now. So uh, hey, I want to thank you very much for coming up on the podcast today. We do appreciate it. Uh, before mm-hmm. we get started, let me let's introduce yourself. Like who you are. Let's tell it all about you. You. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So I am. My name is Robert Deagle. Uh, I. I'm a 29-year-old jiu-jitsu instructor. Uh, I trained under John Danaher. Um, I currently am now in Singapore. <laughs> I grew up in New York. Um, it's funny. I was just watching some of the interviews with some of my teammates who are now in Puerto Rico. And, and um, Danaher and Craig were both saying, like, yeah, everybody hated New York. And we're glad we left. Not me. I like New York. <laughs> I grew up, I grew up there and like, it's home to me. And like, I, you know, I, I understand the complaints make no fucking mistake. They're, they're all very valid, but for me, like the positives outweigh the negatives to me, it's a place that I, I really, really like. Um, and uh, so I, yeah, anyway, but so I was a lot of people, uh, they probably heard a little bit about this. I was studying philosophy before I switched to jujitsu full-time. My intention was to become a professor, um, but for a lot of reasons, you know, I I shifted to jujitsu. Um, I still love philosophy. I read it pretty actively, but um, jujitsu is my focus. And I, you know, I think there are major advantages to jujitsu over over a career in in academic philosophy. Um, and uh, yep, yeah, that's I guess all there is to know. But that's like the basics about me, I guess. Yeah, not all there is to know. 
So how, how did you go from like a philosophy background and then it's like, how do you even find jujitsu as your kind of like go-to thing? Is this something that you wanted to do with your life? Yeah. So I, I started grappling when I was 13. Um, I started doing middle school wrestling. Um, I wanted to do jujitsu though. So basically what had happened was I had a, I was a pretty shy kid. I wasn't really very good at sports. I, I didn't like sports. I basically avoided them. I, I hated them. Uh, and I, but as I started getting older, you know, with uh, my friends, we started doing, basically one of my friends got the brilliant idea of we should like have backyard UFC fights. Um, <laughs> he got like UFC gloves and basically it was like, there were no elbows, no kicks, no knees. It was just punches and grappling. And we literally would just go in my buddy's backyard and just like, basically beat the shit out of each other and I was getting my ass kicked because I was not tech, uh, I was not athletic so I was like I need to figure out a way to overcome these guys using some kind of technique and again keep in mind this was not like any violent this is just me and my buddies like fucking around like it was, <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> you think, and every other person like yeah, yeah. doing that I, th I think everybody who's listened to this at some point has been guilty of just like yeah. hey man bro bro let's do some UFC in the backyard yeah. bro <laughs> It was stupid, you know, in hindsight, like I've thought about it, like now that I'm older, it's like, we were not wearing mouth guards. We could have like gotten hurt, but like, oh, nobody, yeah. yeah, nobody really got hurt, which is funny. Cause I, nobody, none of us really knew what we were doing, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I, I watched a couple jujitsu videos on YouTube and I started watching UFC so I could start to learn, like, what can I do technically to win? And I had a little, like, I, I watched like very beginner level stuff and that stuff was working on my buddies so i was like oh okay like i i remember i went against one of my friends who was way more athletic than me and i got his back and i put on a real naked and i was like wow okay that like really worked and so i was like i want to learn jujitsu now but i was i was 13 i didn't, I didn't have a job so and my parents weren't going to pay for it so <laughs> I, I found out that my high school as most like american schools do offer uh sorry middle i was in middle middle school still i was in eighth grade oh they offered wrestling so i jumped on the wrestling team and I did wrestling from eighth grade to 12th grade. But literally the whole time that I was doing wrestling, I was like, I really just wanted to be doing jujitsu. I was trying to think about like, as I was wrestling, I literally was doing stuff that I was like, well, I think this will translate well to jujitsu. So for instance, I played a game that's called leg riding in jujitsu. Leg riding is, uh, sorry, in wrestling. Leg yeah. riding is basically like taking the back. It's just like back control in wrestling. And you use power half to try to expose their back to the mat. You don't really pin people that way, but you get back points. It's really good for control. So I was literally playing it because I was like, well, it's sort of like back control. And I'll start to learn the mechanics of how back control functions. Not really. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty different. But I, that was the idea because I saw back control. And I was like, okay, the, uh, the leg riding wrestling game is kind of, it looks like it. So maybe if I practice that, when I do eventually switch to jujitsu, which is what my goal was, I will have some experience with it. And I guess kind of, maybe it did a little bit, but so then when I was in 12th grade, a, a senior in high school, I got a job working at a pizzeria and then I was able to pay for actual jujitsu. So that was after, once my senior season of wrestling ended, the, the week after it ended, I started jujitsu right away. And um, so that's why I started jujitsu. And philosophy was kind of like a totally separate thing where like, I just like, there were two big influences on me in terms of what pushed me into philosophy. My, my mother had gone to uh, school 
uh, and had a lot of philosophy texts throughout the house. She didn't, she like, she didn't study philosophy like at a, she didn't like, that wasn't her major, but she went to a Jesuit school, which they require a lot of philosophy courses. Uh, and so I had those books in my house and my uncle is also, he teaches at Harvard, uh, not philosophy, actually geology, but <laughs> he had a lot of philosophy books, which he just he was willing to just give me. So I read those. Um, and he encouraged me a lot because I was interested in the, I was interested in it from like a very young age because I was just like very curious. Like I asked a lot of questions, you know, I just had like, I was constantly asking questions about the, the world. And at first I was more interested in science, but then as I became a teenager, it shifted more to philosophy. Interestingly enough, I think now I'm more interested in science than philosophy, but that's a, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it goes. I guess sometimes your intellectual interest you know, fluc uh, fluctuate through your life. And, um, you know, I, I was lucky that my high school offered a philosophy class. Most American high schools don't. And I was very lucky that mine did. Um, so I took a philosophy class my senior year of high school. And I, um, I was very interested in it. You know, I was like, you know, this is something that I kind of didn't really know what I, I didn't really have anything I wanted to do with my life per se, like as a career. And I was like, well, you know, I like this. This is very interesting to me. And I was like, maybe I can become a professor. So that's <laughs> kind of what I, I almost was like, I just don't know what else to do. And I just happened to like it. And, uh, and I felt like I couldn't, I remember when I was an undergraduate, I read on a forum once, they said, this guy said, you should only pursue philosophy at a graduate level if it's the only thing that will ever make you happy. And I for a while, I, I mean, I took that pretty seriously. So I was like, I thought it made sense because the, the life of an academic philosopher is, it's, in a lot of ways, it's pretty brutal. There are a lot of aspects to it, which like kind of suck to be honest. Like you don't have a lot of control over where, where you get to live um, because professorships are so few and far between. So you have to basically accept anything you can get. And on top of that, you're always hustling to get tenure, you know, trying to get papers published. And unfortunately, what a lot of people don't realize is getting papers published in philosophy, it isn't really always just about merit. Merit plays a role in it, of course, but because philosophy is, to some degree, there's some ambiguity about what's quality philosophy, right? Like, if I just don't happen to agree with you, and I, you know, it's like, I don't mm -hmm. think it's any good, it doesn't get published. So I was, I was advised by certain uh, professors that I studied under to like abandon some of my actual interests to write about things that I wasn't interested in but happened to be popular at the time so that was one of the things that turned me off from it by the way that I was like mm. what's the point of pursuing this if I have to write about stuff that isn't interesting to me if the whole reason of pursuing this is because I love it if I have to do parts of it that aren't interesting to me why do it? <laughs> yeah but I still you know I, I happen to right near right near me where I'm seated I have like five philosophy books, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I will always love the discipline. I think there's real value to it, but the life of an academic philosopher, the life of a professor really appeals to me. Like I would have loved to have been a professor, but it's tough to get to that point. It's tough to get to the mm -hmm. point, you know, what every young academic philosophy student envisions for themselves is really hard to get. <laughs> and it's not all merit-based, unfortunately. A lot of it's politics, a lot of it's, you know, I had a professor who was a complete moron. This guy was a total idiot. And he would openly tell us he got his job because his parents were rich. And I was like, 
<laughs> this, is, this is what I'm paying for with my yeah. university education. <laughs> yeah, the, the guy. I actually dropped out of that class because I was like, "This guy's a fucking idiot." Like, I asked. I remember I asked the guy. I was like, "What is the criteria that you're grading us on?" And he wouldn't give me. I was like, "I'm not someone. I don't like ambiguity. I want specific, measurable things. Like, tell me what I have to do to get my grade." And he wouldn't fucking tell me. And I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna drop your class. I'm not staying in your class because it's like." I, cause, cause, cause what I was very concerned about was getting a 4.0 GPA. Cause if you want to get into the best graduate schools, you need fucking everything's gotta be perfect. So I was like, I was already at a disadvantage because I was going to like a poor person college. I, I went to the city university of New York, which is a public school, which is not like, it's not like a really great, you know, mm-hmm. when you're applying to grad school, as they see how oh, you're Queens college graduate. Okay. And it's not that, not that impressive. So I was, I felt like I was at a disadvantage already. Um, so I was like, I need, like, I wound up getting a 3.8, which I was like, fuck, <laughs> this isn't good enough. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted to get a 4.0. And so I wanted to make sure every class I was like, look, I need to be on top of my grades, you know? And at the same time, by the way, that I'm doing all this, I'm training under Danaher in the blue basement. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm training like every day with him. I'm going to these classes. Uh, I'm working. I had, I had a job too. I was a assistant manager at a vitamin store. <laughs> awful fucking job <laughs> uh yeah and so it was like i was never sleeping but you know I, I actually look on those days as pretty pretty happy because i was doing what i wanted pretty much every day mm-hmm. i was training jujitsu and i was doing philosophy like pretty much every day and i was working too which sucked but you know whatever it was a shit job but it was an easy job so it was that I want to ask you about your uh, philosophy experience and uh, mm-hmm. how it, how that ties into jujitsu and how you teach, um, or even just like learning jujitsu. Have you found like there's like any parallels between like you know what you're studying philosophy and what you're studying in jujitsu? Yeah, so there definitely are. Um, so uh, okay, basically, I think the biggest things I got from philosophy are how to look at problems, how to approach the topic of solving a problem. So a big thing in philosophy, an interesting thing about the topic of philosophy is that people in the discipline very rarely agree upon what we're doing. (laughs) People are always arguing over what is philosophy? What are our goals? And that's kind of, it makes the discipline, there's a level of intense ambiguity to it. But what's really fascinating about it is it also trains you to, in my opinion, cut through the bullshit, so to speak, right? Because you're, you know, if you're, for instance, a physicist or a chemist or a geologist, I'm, I'm not trained in those fields, so I don't really know. But I think probably your goals are already pretty, there's less argument about what you're doing in the field, right? Like the, the work of the scientists in those fields is you're kind of working together to solve common problems. Whereas in philosophy, you are doing that, but there's little camps. And so there's always intense debate between the camps over which camp is approaching the topic in the correct way. So I was very interested in people like Ludwig Wittgenstein the Amer- and the American pragmatists. I would say those are like my two main areas. And I also really liked Chinese philosophy. So those are like my three main areas. They're all very related actually. And I, I would approach problems in a certain way and someone else would approach problems in a certain way. And I would have to argue for the, like why we should look at it my way, right? And so now when, you, when I come into jujitsu, um, it's, it's somewhat similar in that people don't always necessarily agree on what are the problems we're trying to solve. Um, you have so many different rule sets, right? So it's like, um, 
there's argument in jujitsu about what we should even really be trying to do, right? Like some people are like, well, it's all about the submission, right? Some people say, no, it's about winning at all costs. Some people say it's about entertainment. Some people say, I don't care about entertainment. I just want to win, right? And there's validity to all these claims, but now we got to parse through and see, you know, who, I mean, no one's really, it's, I don't think anyone's really right per se, but it's like, you can look at the, the arguments and think about the problems. So I think that's the biggest thing philosophy equipped me to do very well, which is to identify problems in a clear way that cuts through bullshit. And now think about how to solve them, you know, if that makes any sense. So how do you kind of take your approach when you like structure classes for teaching mm -hmm. and then like cutting through the bullshit as you were to say, and then obviously like mm -hmm. trying to get your point across, but breaking it down far enough where people can, can get what you're trying to expand on. Yeah. So the biggest thing is having a clear goal in mind. You've got to have, you've got to look and say, okay, there are a lot of different things I could do, right? You can, as a coach, work your athletes in many different directions, but you've got to identify what am I trying to do? If my goal, let's just say hypothetically, my goal was to have a set of athletes that were the best in the world at arm locks, right? That could be a goal. And I, and I work towards doing that deliberately through a period of a couple of years. Why am I doing that? What's the purpose towards doing that, right? I have to have short-term goals that build to long-term goals. And their goals have to be based on, basically what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to um, make, it's kind of, in some sense, it's guesswork based on research about what's going to help us to achieve our goals in the long term, right? So for instance, like imagine if, like people can get better at anything, anything they do long term consistently, they will get better at. So like hypothetically, if I had my students work, um, let's say rubber guard for six months, they're going to get better at it. But the question is, would they have been better suited for uh, doing that versus, let's say, working to pass guard for six months? Which of these is going to move us towards what our goals are uh, in a more efficient way? And the, the, what, another challenge to that is, what are our goals? If your goals are to win EBI, which doesn't exist anymore, but <laughs> if it did, uh, if your goal is to win EBI, Combat jiu-jitsu, yeah, it's a different <laughs> kind of different beast. Uh, if your goal is to win EBI, it's going to be different than if your goal is to win ADCC. So like if I was to coach an athlete whose goal was to win an EBI tournament, man, it's a very different thing than ADCC. Some things are going to be in common. Certain things will always be shared. Like I think back control, that's kind of like the big thing. You're always going to see jiu-jitsu people need to be good at. But if you're, in, if you're training for EBI, why do you need to work takedowns? It's like almost a total waste of your time. It's kind of stupid in my opinion to be working takedowns intensely but man if you're going to adcc and you don't have takedowns you're gonna have a hard time you know it's so it's, it changes um so my work as a coach or i think any good coach's work has to be about identifying the problems and then i and then working in a very organized way to um gain the proper skills to overcome those problems But when you kind of like, because you kind of touched on it, it's like, especially like with mm -hmm. rule sets and all that kind of stuff. In your opinion, what do you think is kind of like the best rule set that's out there right now for competition? Well, it's funny because I was asked this question like maybe eight months ago on a different podcast and I gave a totally different answer than what I'm about to give. <laughs> my opinion has changed a lot. Yeah. My philosophy has changed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the last eight that, months. That, 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 that's how things work, right? 
Right, exactly. Yes. You've um, updated your thesis. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. People were like, because I, I, I say that because I don't want people to hear what I'm about to say, but you said this on the different podcast. Yeah, because well, I've changed my mind. <laughs> That's yeah, what happened. You, you're allowed to do that. It's a fucking yes. guy fucking lied to us eight months ago. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Man? <laughs> uh, so I would say ADCC, actually, ADCC rules, with the exception of I don't, the only thing I don't like is I don't like in the finals match how they add, um, if you pull guard, you get a negative at any point of the match. I kind of, I wish that the finals were the same rules as the rest of the tournament. I don't, I don't see what benefit that adds. But the reason why I like ADCC is because what I think it does is it strikes a really good balance between allowing creative, like submission style grappling and also encouraging positional grappling. Because in ADCC, the reality is submissions, positions, and takedowns are all super important. So on the ground, the two biggest part of parts of ground grappling are submissions and positions. The, the, and standing grappling, it's you got submissions too, but it's mainly about takedowns, I would say. The art of putting a man down to his hips. And ADCC does a really good job of encouraging all of these skills. Like these are like, I would probably say the three main skill areas of grappling, you know, submissions, positions, and takedowns. And ADCC does a really good job of encouraging all of them. The reason why, like eight months ago, I said, eight months ago, I said, I think Kasai rules, and I still love Kasai rules, um, but I think that ADCC, I, I, I still think Kasai, like I said, they're fantastic rules, but I think ADCC, um, the, the, the big difference is ADCC matches are longer. That's the big issue with Kasai. The rule set's fantastic, but man, the matches are so fucking short. So I think that ADCC edges it out because of that. I think both rule sets do a good job encouraging all of the main skill areas, but ADCC, just by virtue of being longer, and they're different rule sets, but like they're obviously like ADCC, you got the no points period. Um, but um, I think I think they both do a good job of pushing grapplers to develop skills in interesting ways. It's just the only thing that edges ADCC over Kasai, in my opinion, is the, the length of the matches. Yeah. yeah. So then you would say like, okay, so your favorite one to watch is probably ADCC. Like, have you now yeah. like talking like competing for yourself? Like, have you competed in ADCC rule set, submission only rule set? Like, what are some ones that you've you've done, you know, compete competition wise? And like, what have yeah. you liked and what have you wanted to change? Well, so I would, I mean, I've competed in every Nogi rule set you can think of. If there's a major Nogi rule set, I've, I've done it. For my personal preference, if you ask me what rule set do I think I would do best in against anyone, it would be Nogi's, uh, it would be uh, sub only, no time limit. So that's, I think that best suits my personal attributes. I'm not particularly athletic. I'm not, like ADCC, there's a bit of a, like an athleticism ceiling, a threshold you have to meet. And I, I'm working very intensely on my strength and conditioning nowadays, more so than I ever have. I got a strength and conditioning coach recently. Um, you know, I'm working very intensely on that so I can meet that athletic threshold. Um, but no time limits have only, man, the, the athletic threshold's way lower because it's really the only thing that matters is your skill on the mat. Like you take me down, who it it's irrelevant. Even if you pass somebody's guard, it's irrelevant. It's all about obviously getting to that sub and athleticism is less important. So like, I think that's probably the best rule set for me if my only goal was to win, but I'd rather watch ADCC because sub only no time limit 
man, those matches are brutal. <laughs> you know, I had, I had one that went an hour and a half before I finally got the heel hook. And then I had another one that went 45 minutes before I got, I, I triangled the guy after 45 minutes. And like, I'm going to be honest, I have never rewatched either of those matches. <laughs> and they're my matches, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to sit through that. Um, you know, like, so ADCC is, is definitely my favorite rule set to watch. But I, I mean, I like, dude, everything. I like sub only with decisions like Polaris and Grapple Fest. Those are great mm -hmm. matches. I like those I like as well. Yeah, because I, I think yeah. I because I think honestly, personally, I find the biggest knock on submission only is kind of what you said, where it's like you watch. It's like, hey, I, I had an hour and a half match and that sounds cool on paper where it's like you grappled <laughs> somebody for an hour and a half where probably out of those 90 minutes, you were probably actually like physically exerting yourself for maybe five minutes, <laughs> if I yeah. <laughs> guess. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of those matches. There's a lot of pacing where people are not. Yeah. It's funny because that match. Um, the first 30 minutes, I would say, were the most intense. Where the guy I was going against, he was really coming after me. Like, the guy was very strong, athletic, um, like, pressure passer. And, man, he was coming after me for the first 30. The first 30 was very brutal. And then after the first 30, I kind of weathered the storm. And him and I kind of got into this period of, like, <laughs> like we were like, okay, let's not Let's, go, let's go get a water break. We'll come back. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> Um, and so like, like he passed my guard at one point around like the 45 minute mark. And I was just lying there like, okay, I want to take a breather. <laughs> uh, and like, eventually I, like I said, I got it with the heel hook, but it was like, it was an hour and a half. It was, it was really brutal. Um, and, uh, it's, I think like the best sub only matches are kind of matches where the guys are just attacking each other. And that sometimes the rule set doesn't necessarily encourage that but it happens anyway. Two guys will go after each other. And it's like, did the rule set make them do this or did they just do this because they felt like doing it anyway, right? So mm -hmm. like a good match is Jeremy Paul Skinner versus my teammate, uh, Frank Rosenthal. That's an awesome match. Those guys are trying to rip each other's heads off. I've, I've seen that match many times. I, I love rewatching it. And the question is like, well, Grapple Fest does encourage it because like they really reward submission attacks, but some other submission only rule sets are like, yeah, are they are they encouraging them to attack? I don't know. <laughs> you watch some like, did you guys see Albertaz's match against uh, Pedro Hosha last? I think it was. Well, I don't know what the time zone, but like, it was not that long ago. Aaron, did you see like, that? last last week? I think it was like was last it? night or the other night, something like that. Um, but. Pedro just stalled against everybody does this against Taza. It's awful. <laughs> they like stall against him. And then it's like, you know, uh, it's awful. And then he got the decision when Pedro and it's like, mm. I, I hate that. I hate that so much. Like that's the worst thing in our sport is stalling. It's the, like the worst. It's the worst thing. It's so bad. How do you, how do you discourage stalling? Like either with the rule sets? I mean, I think regardless, like some people, it's just, I think you mentioned it. Like people have that style of jujitsu where they're just going to attack, attack, attack. And some people are gonna, you know, they're going to try to, if you want to say, play it smart, they're going to play it smart or they're going to yeah. you know, play by the rule set. But how do you best encourage a rule set that, you know, I guess creates the most action and is going to get the most people watching and excited to, you know, actually watch jujitsu and not, yeah. uh, you know, a, a five hour sub only that I think Aaron did uh, <laughs> one in Syracuse one year and, Oh, and back in ah, oh, yeah, that was in Webster, New York. I remember Webster, New York. Shout out to Webster, <laughs> New York. All five people that live there. 
It was this uh, uh, U.S. grappling, I think it was. I, a couple that was years ago. Fuck, I don't remember now. Oh shit, nice. Yeah, I know nothing about. I've never even been upstate New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So okay. Uh, ultimately, there's three main ways to solve the problem of stalling. Two involve rule set adjustments, and one is more of like a strategy adjustment on your part, uh, the part of the athlete. Okay. So. Um, the first thing is we can try to construct a rule set which encourages action. Okay. Now, um, oh, wait, he's back. <laughs> I'm back now. Sorry. <laughs> Stop distracting him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, so like, uh, anyone watching, we're, we're doing this on two different continents. So cut, uh, cut us a break. Uh, but anyway, so, so, uh, it's all good. yeah. So, okay. So, the first way is to develop a rule set which encourages action. And that's, I'm going to be honest, that's hard to do. To me, that was the, that was the strategy which appealed to me the most. The one I thought the most about, like, how do we do this? How do we construct a rule set which actively encourages a, uh, engagement? It's really hard to do because let me contrast grappling as a sport with tennis, okay? On a mechanical level, engagement is required in tennis. Otherwise, guess what's going to happen? The ball is going to fucking... You're not going to hit the ball back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You have to, you have to engage. There's no way to compete without engaging jujitsu or grappling. That's not really actually true. You can, you can compete and not be engaging. So there's no, it's, I think it's really hard to make a rule set, which forces engagement. The second way to think about solving it is what like wrestling does or what MMA does, which is you have a ref who an official who's going to be on top of the athletes being like, listen, listen guys, we have to engage in wrestling. There's heavy, heavy penalties for, for lack of engagement. If you disengage in wrestling, you get punished in, in pride in Japan back in the day, you would get, you would lose money. You know? So like you have a, uh, that's a strong encouragement to engage the, the ref pushing the action. Now that's, I think the most sensible way in jujitsu, we could do it. The trouble is this is the real difficulty because we have so many different rule sets in grappling in nogi grappling. Basically, they're all different sports. What's, who's going to be a good ref for one rule set may ne not necessarily be the best ref for another rule set. So, and, and, and smart athletes will exploit this, right? I, I, I'll talk about myself for a second. I'm not going to say when I did this, but I've had matches where I knew the ref was an idiot and I, I got away with stuff that I shouldn't have gotten away with. <laughs> like we reset in the middle and I was like, oh yeah, I had this actually. <laughs> and the ref just like, Let okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was I refing? <laughs> I, I, I've refed a lot of IBJJF. I've done a lot of referee. I have a lot of refereeing experience. You never know. I could have refed you at some point. Maybe it's possible. I haven't done that much IBJJF. I actually only did um, one in the last couple of years. I got DQ'd for uh, doing a knee bar. I thought it was, le thought it was legal. <laughs> Didn't know. Were you, were you a purple belt at the time? or I was a purple belt. This was a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I got DQ'd. I'll do it. Yeah, ten, ten, 10 seconds. I went for a knee bar like right off the bat. And uh, Hello. I'm looking at you like stone face, like <laughs> well, as soon as he said Paro, I was like, oh, that was illegal, I guess. but so the uh the, the last strategy to overcome stalling, that this is the one I'm thinking the most about these days, is you gotta just as the athlete in the match, you've got to accept that stalling is going to happen and you've got to find ways to attack him no matter what he does. You've got to find ways to proactively engage the guy that he can't just stop by running away. You know what I mean? So in my opinion, what that means most of the time is taking the guy down. You know, he can't stall 
it was harder to stall if you're putting him on his ass. If you're putting the man on his ass, you're breaking him down to his hips. He, it's hard for him to stall. What happens when you do that is then you start getting a game of you're either going to put him down, and now guess what? You could pass his guard. You could take his back, all sorts of things. Or to stop that, he's going to come after you. He doesn't want to get taken down, so guess what? He's got to come after you. Now you can start playing your guard. Right. So I'm, I'm thinking a lot about takedowns these days because I think that that's ultimately the best way to stop stalling. You know what I mean? It's, it sucks that that's a problem. It sucks that stalling is such a big problem in our sport, but it is. And so I've thought a lot about this and um, I think takedowns are the best way to stop it, you know, and uh, I, I've, I've scored, believe it or not, I have scored a few takedowns, <laughs> not many, <laughs> but I have scored some and uh, I've scored them since now I've been working on it more intensely because I realized like it's the only way to stop these guys from stalling. If you, if you sit on your back and you consistently just try to play guard the whole time, so it'll work against a lot of people. If people attack you, then now you're having a real jujitsu match and it'll work that, but man, we've all seen matches where the guy's just running away and you're like, bro, what do you think? let's do jujitsu, you know, and the ref should be punishing that, but he's, he's not, you know, anyway, also let me briefly comment. I apologize about the weird lighting. Are you in a strip club right now? Or? No, no, this, this room that I'm in, the, like it, the lighting is like, it, it's so weird. It goes on and off constantly. And I don't, Oh, okay. I, I thought it was like the camera or something like that. So it's the lighting. No, it's the actual room. I don't know yeah, how to it's mood stop. lighting. He's got a tall glass of Chardonnay on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I'm used to it by now, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. So those that's how I think about stalling. And it's, I wish that we had more structural change in the sport where refs would like stop it from happening, but you can't count on you can't count on that as the athlete yeah, you can't so we you know yeah. you got to come up with ways to go after the guy in my opinion yeah. yeah i i think you nailed it i think it's a combination of the rule set um a referee being proactive in not allowing you know combatants to stall and mm. i think the biggest thing is like the onus <laughs> is on you know you to you know press the action and mm -hmm. basically don't let the other guy stall and put you in those positions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. So when you kind of look at like the evolution of like, you know, how there's always been these transitions of like where the sport is going. So like, for example, like at one point it was the burn bolo, And then one point mm -hmm. now it's kind of like the, the leg lock game is like the, the perennial thing right now. Like, where do you kind of see that next transition going into? Is it more like, okay, more evolution into the leg game? Or is it kind of transitioning more into that wrestling style or takedowns, like you were saying, to kind of change the rule set? Or is it something we're kind of like haven't even seen yet? I think wrestling is going to play a big part in the future of competitive no-gi um, because ADCC is pretty much, everybody agrees, this is the most important tournament, ADCC. That's what we're all trying to win. So ADCC heavily encourages wrestling. Now, what I suspect is going to happen down the line is that people are going to start to realize that the integration of wrestling with leg locks is, I think, in fact, one of the best ways to to go about operating in nogi when you can combine effective takedowns with your leg lock attacks these are in my opinion probably the most viable initial weapons like from the outset of a match right like so if i want to arm lock somebody 
it requires them to do one of two things. Either they have to come really low towards my guard, which definitely happens, or I have to take them down and pass their guard. That definitely happens, but the opportunities are, they're less prevalent than opportunities for leg locks and takedowns. Leg locks are pretty much available all over the place. You don't you don't have to pass somebody's guard. Passing good people's guards is really hard because it's right in front of you. And when you're playing guard, whether they're kneeling or they're standing, the leg locks are there. If they're standing, you're trying to arm lock them. That's, that's a tall order. That's really hard to do. Similarly, takedowns, you could take a guy down when he's kneeling. You can take a guy down when he's standing. You could take a guy down when you're seated. You could go from a seated position into a takedown. You can go from a kneeling or a standing position into a takedown. So these, so leg locks and wrestling, it's all over the place. Um, now, when you connect these things, they connect really well. Because if you think about it, look, the wrestling is going forward and the leg locks is going back. So you create pressure in both directions, really opens things up. So I think probably the next evolution is going to be um, the refinement of wrestling with submissions, especially, though not definitely not exclusively, leg locks. In my opinion, the best in the world at this at the moment is Gary Tonin. Nobody does a better job of sequencing between submission attacks and takedowns than him. Uh, if you watch his matches with Husamar Polyaris or Henato Canuto um, mm-hmm. or D- D- Dante Leon, these are just, or his Davi Ramos match, actually the recent one. These are all amazing displays of he's integrating leg locks with wrestling. And obviously there's a preference for one over the other dependent on the rule set in the Polyaris match that's sub only so he's doing more he's doing more leg locks so there are still some takedowns in the Hanato Kanuto match um there's more tech uh, uh wrestling takedowns because it's if you take the guy down there's points you know what I mean whereas if you go for a leg lock there's no points if you get the submission but there's no points so um but you still see both in both places and um I think that's going to be a big part of the developing meta, but right now the wrestling level in jujitsu is so shit. But that that, that needs to catch up first, <laughs> you know. And I'm included in that. I'm dog shit at it. You know, I gotta get there too. So yeah, I think I'm like a negative five stripe white belt in wrestling. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. It's yeah. It's it, it's tough because like I think the big thing about wrestling is like people don't look at it in a systematic way. What they do is. And it's what we used to do with jujitsu, right? We used to just take a bunch of techniques, but oh, let's go do jujitsu now, right? Now people realize a system is a much stronger way to go about achieving your goals. And I think people got to do that in wrestling more. Right now, when people think of wrestling, they just go, oh, I'm just going to practice my double legs. Okay, what's your setup though? What happens when that doesn't work? What do you chain into? Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? That's that's what has to be refined. The truly great wrestlers, if you watch like internationally successful wrestlers, the world championship at the Olympics, they're like chaining like seven moves together. Yeah, there's so much setup and there's somebody like bang, 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 bang. You know, so it's, you very rarely see like one, just like a blast double and they just take them down. Right. Like freak athletes like Jordan Burroughs are successful with that, yeah. but most guys it doesn't really happen. So that's got to change in jujitsu right now. Wrestling in jujitsu is like about like just shooting blast doubles and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's like throwing like just a jab, like 900 times, basically yeah. <laughs> like using like a boxing analogy. Like you, you got to learn some other punches and you got to learn, you know, the combinations with them as well. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Um, yeah. I want to ask you like influences, like in your jujitsu, like, is there people that like, besides like your teammates, are there like other jujitsu people that you're studying? Like, are you mm-hmm. watching like competition footage, DVDs, anything, or like, are you studying other people's systems? Like who are some mm-hmm. influences on your, on your game? 
Um, I mean, I watch a lot. Like I watch, if you name somebody, I've probably, if they're notable, I've probably studied them. And even people that aren't super notable, like I watch like a ton, you know? Um, I would say my favorite person who's not on my team to watch is probably Masakazu Imanari. I've watched a lot, pretty much every single one of his fights that I can find. Some of them you just can't find, they're so old. But anyone that I can find, I watch. And I have them all saved on my hard drive. And I've learned so much from that guy. That guy was so creative and so innovative at a time period when people just weren't doing this stuff. The first time I ever saw backside 50-50 being used was Imanari. The first time I ever saw cross Ashi being used was Imanari. Um, the first time I ever saw like a deep half entry into an outside Ashi was Imanari. There's he's just so many things. And it's crazy. What's wild about Imanari is that like he he was doing this before like anybody else was doing it. And I think what held him back, my guess is that he didn't have other people to bounce ideas off of because he was doing it at a time when other people weren't doing it. So he was, that guy was so ahead of his time. I love, I love watching him, but the, I could list like a ton of people like Cobrinha. I love Cobrinha is another guy. Genius, a literal genius, his guard passing, his sweeps, his takedowns, his back takes like works of art. You know, I love that uh, watching that guy. Um, but it, I mean, honestly, like if I, I study like a lot of people, mainly lighter weight guys, I watch bigger guys. Like I actually was watching uh, a lot of cyborgs matches recently. I think cyborg is actually of the bigger guys. I think he's one of the more technical ones. He's got a lot of really good stuff. Um, you know, I prefer watching smaller people because technically, usually they tend to be more technical, but like I try to watch everybody because you never know what you're going to find. I even watch like, I have a, he's a really obscure, uh, like interest that I have. I love watching the Indian guys. The Indian community is super interesting to me. Like those guys are like, I've been to India and I, I taught a seminar there and I, I got to meet a lot of these guys and the community there's really small, but they're like super, they're very ambitious. They're like, it's so impressive to me how hard these guys are working in like complete isolation. They're in the middle of nowhere in the world of jujitsu. They have, they don't have access to foreign coaches. I was, I was there. I was, so when I went there, I was like one of the only, one of the two only foreign guys they ever brought in. They had Yuri Samoish and they had me. Those were the only two guys that were foreign that ever got brought in. And um, so they're mainly homegrown. And they have been, they've been hosting a lot of tournaments lately and they've been putting them on YouTube. Like one shout out to these guys. If anybody's interested, check out the leverage radio tournament. It was awesome. I've been rewatching those matches. They're fucking awesome. Nobody has ever heard of these guys, but I'm telling you, they're fucking good. They're, de they're developing. Don't expect like Hoffa Mendes level skill yet guys, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's really cool to see the development of a community of guys who are very committed to learning. And man, there's very creative stuff happening, you know? Um, so like, that's like an obscure one that I like to watch, but like, man, I, I just love grappling and I, I watch a lot. You know, like after we're done talking, I'm going to watch uh, the 2016 Combat Wrestling Championship in Japan. It's three hours and I'm going to try to get through the whole thing today. And uh, I've watched bits and pieces, but I want to watch the whole thing, which I just downloaded. And uh, that's really awesome because th those guys are, it's a very unique rule set. It's like basically catch wrestling. And like, so there's a lot of cool stuff to be gained from them. So yeah, like anything. <laughs> awesome. So like when you kind of look at like, especially like whether it's being whether it's matches for yourself or like matches that you kind of want to see like what's on the top of the wish list for you i want to see I, I i watch matches not 
I, like what interests me is not like exciting stuff. I'm interested in watching mass matches in the way like us, like a scientist is interesting in surveying data. I'm just trying to like mm -hmm. analyze what works and what doesn't. I literally, I get excited by like small things like, oh, look, it works. Oh, that's interesting. I saw this in another match. Why did it work there? Why did it not work there? There's so many different variables because like you've got different body types, right? Like mm -hmm. this changes things quite a lot. So you can't like make a broad statement across the board and say it always applies like, oh, it worked there. So it'll always work, right? So we're always factoring in so many different things. And so it's just, for me, it's about like the way I look at it is a, like accumulating data. I'm trying to accumulate data. And I always, I keep a, um, so I have a couple notebooks and I'm always writing down. So I'll, I'll put at the top of the page, I'll put the name of like a situation. Like here's an example. I've been watching a lot of double far hip Ashi stuff. I'll put double far hip Ashi examples. And then every time I see one in a match, I'll go, oh, okay. I'll write that down. I'll write the name of the match. And sometimes I'll timestamp it. I'll say like this point in the match. Right. Um, and then when I have enough, let's say I've got 50 examples, I'll take all those examples. I'll put it in a single file. I'll make a video. I'll cut it all up. I'll make it like 30 minutes long. And then I'll watch it again and again and again. And I'll try to notice patterns and I'll say, Oh, okay. Hmm. That's not working. <laughs> These guys keep trying that. That's not working. That's not good. You shouldn't do that. Uh, and then I'll, I'll test stuff out right now. I can't test stuff out because I'm isolated, but when I'm able to train, I'll test stuff out on training partners. I'll say, all right, let's, let's positionally try stuff. Let's, let's put ourselves in these situations and test it out. So that's, that's what I'm looking for. I, it's funny. Like um, I remember when ADCC 2019 was on, I was watching it live and I actually didn't really enjoy it as like a sports viewing experience. Cause I felt like this is going to sound funny. Maybe I felt like anxious being like, I don't have time to like, when I'm watching it, it's all happening so fast that I'm not like able to like study it. It's happening too fast. So I was like, I, I want to go back and rewatch it. Like what, what happened there? What happened there? So uh, I actually didn't really enjoy it until after the event had ended. I actually turned it <laughs> I turned it off when the final started. I was like, I'll, I'll just watch it later because I wasn't really enjoying it. Then, <laughs> <laughs> I'm spent. I'm done. I need a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> too much, too much jujitsu. But I get what you're saying because mm -hmm. like there's so many crazy like world-class matchups that are happening. It's like, Matt one, there's like, you know, Bouchesha and Cyborg are fighting and it's like Gordon mm -hmm. Ryan's fighting like Hulk on another mat. And it's, it's so much to track at the same time. Like it's impossible yeah. to watch live. You almost have to take each match and break it down one by one later on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish what I wish they would do is after the fact, take every bracket and just have like on flow grappling have like 66 kg and then you clicked on that and what it did is it started with the bracket and then you shows you the match you watch the match and then you see the guy advance on the bracket then it went to the next one but they don't have that you have to do that yourself <laughs> so it's like it's it's not always easy to watch it in that way if you want to um the old adccs on fight pass actually do that so like the first couple like 1998 1999 and 2000 they have those things and the some of them are smaller. Um, so it's like, it's easier to do that, I guess. But regardless, I wish they, I wish they did that, uh, but they don't. Awesome. Um, I want to, another thing to, to topic that we always like to talk about with people, especially like, since you've been, you've been working in jujitsu, you're like a full-time instructor. What are some, what's some advice that you would give to somebody who's like, maybe like a blue belt or a purple belt right now. And they're like, you know, I want to do jujitsu for a living. How do I make that happen? Like any advice that you would give them? 
Yeah. First of all, ask yourself, why do you want to do it? That's the single biggest thing I would say to somebody, because in my opinion, if you want to do it, there's two ways or two big reasons to want to do this professionally. The first is that you, you love it. It's just, you love it. Right. And there are many reasons for loving it, but I think they're all like valid. As long as you love it, that's the right reason for doing it. The other reason for doing it is that you want to look cool on Instagram. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And I think that you will get you, you. I personally think that's the wrong reason to be doing it. And I think that if you, if you want to just look cool on Instagram, I think you will not make it. And I, I think that you shouldn't do it. You should keep it as a hobby then. Um, but that's just my opinion. You could tell me to fuck off and do it anyway. And <laughs> if you're winning, I can't say shit. Uh, but after that, if, if you've committed to it, you're like, look, I want to fucking do this. Fuck you, Rob Deagle. I want to do this. <laughs> fuck you, Eric Gall. I want to do this, you fucking yeah. piece of shit. I keep telling you, Mike, if you want to do it, do it. Okay? You want to do it? Don't, don't fucking tell me what to do. Don't censor my ad reads, fucker. <laughs> so, like, if you've decided you really want to do it, I would say you've got to really commit to it which i think means finding a team where you could take it like too many people try too fast to start like making money off the sport you know you've got to develop first you know you've got to, i think you ought to get with a big team or a, at least a good team right move to puerto rico and train with Danaher now you can't do it yet because they, they haven't opened the school yet but when they do fucking move to puerto rico it's cheap as shit go train with Danaher. um move to California. There's a ton of big gyms out there. Uh, move to like wherever else. I don't know. There's a ton of good teams. Get with a good team. Get with the best team that you can realistically get to, right? If you're in the UK, go train with Ross Nichols in London, you know, um, etc. Uh, do something like that. You want to train with a really good team because you want to get to a high level because that's what's ultimately going to, in my opinion, if you want to have a career in this sport, you got to be as good as you can. So you want to spend a long time developing. Um, and I mean, a lot of it depends on your goals. If you just want to open a small academy and just run it like that, that's fine. You don't need to train with a big team whatsoever. So, but I, I, I guess I'm kind of thinking about if you're trying to be like a competitor first and then, and then a coach down the line, that, that would be my advice. I get DMS from young kids all the time where they ask me this exact question. And I always tell them, like, I got a DM from a kid who lives in Cyprus. And he's like, you know, I'm already kind of the best guy on the island. And like, I don't know, I want to get, I want to win ADCC someday. The kid was like 17. And I just gave him the, what, in my opinion, is the honest advice. You're not going to do it in Cyprus. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. There's no team there for you. You know, you might come back in 10 years and make that team. But right now it's not there. It's, it doesn't exist yet. So what you got to do is, is you, you got to get to a place where you can train with a team that'll get you to that level. I said, look, you're 17. You're, you live in an EU country. Uh, why don't huh, UK is not EU anymore. But when I gave this advice, it was, I, I, I think they were leaving EU. I don't remember. But I told them, I was like, look, go to London. You, you got to go to college, right? The kid was going, I always, I always recommend young people who are interested in jujitsu go to college too. I think, I think you should have a backup plan. You know what I mean? Like, um, but yeah. anyway, so yeah, I said, go to school in London and trained with Ross Nichols' team. That's a very solid team. I've trained with them on both of my trips to the UK. I think they're a very solid team, a ton of very tough athletes, and you can get to a high level with those guys. They're very good. So go there. Go train with those guys, and you will get to a high level if, if, you, if you train hard, you train right, right? 
that's what you need as a young athlete. You know, that's so here in Singapore, my big goal is I want to develop a team for two, uh, develop a team like that. For one, first of all, I'm not done competing. I want, for a selfish reason, I want students who are good, who can come after me so I can get to where I want to get. And the second reason is I, I, I want a tough team because of, you know, you guys ever hear that corny expression, a rising tide raises all sails, right? That's how I view it, you know? Like, yeah. so I, I was talking to a student who's going to be training under me. And he said, you know, I'm like a 38 year old hobbyist. You know, I don't have competitive goals. He goes, should I still come to your classes? And I was like, absolutely. I was like, if you are smart and you pick up the techniques, it doesn't matter how old you are. You will be a useful training partner for the, for the younger competitors. You know, you don't, you don't need, not everyone needs to compete. Not everyone should fucking compete. You know what I mean? But no matter who you are, you have a place, as long as you're coming to train, and you're focused and you're serious, everybody has a place in the training room. Every, every, everybody, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Jiu-jitsu, it's funny. People, I've heard people say jiu-jitsu is for everybody. I, I, I don't think that's true. <laughs> it's not for everybody, but it can be for anybody. Is that, you guys get what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. So when you kind of, like, I want to ask you, especially because, like, especially mm-hmm. places of, like, you know, they've had to go to other places to train and all that kind of jazz. And especially mm-hmm. if you even look at like, let's take New York state, for example, for now, right? Like a mm-hmm. lot of those clubs have been shut down or they can't yeah. train at all. And people have had to move, for example, like, mm-hmm. do you see like, cause again, New York used to be a big hub of a lot of jujitsu academies, right? The same yeah. thing that like San Diego, California, do you feel like those clubs are going to come back or there's going to be a long transition time before they can do that? Nah, they're going to come back. I don't think there will be any long-term residual effects. I don't, I don't think mm-hmm. it's going to matter. People, guys, people have been training. Yeah, <laughs> Whether yeah. it's been legal <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I never stopped training. I started training a week after Henzo's ended. <laughs> it never ended. We were just training in garages and basements and wherever we could. Like, yeah. So I don't think it's going to matter. I, I know my buddies and talking to some of my buddies in the UK, their, their gyms are closed. They've been closed since June, which is fucking brutal mm-hmm. awful and they've been training in backyards you know so it's it's not uh it's not it's not gonna stop people if you're focused if you're committed you'll you'll find a way yeah it's funny because i've never thought i would live to see the day where we're in canada and mm-hmm. marijuana is legal doing <laughs> jiu-jitsu is not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i thought i would never see the day where that would happen <laughs> Yeah, it sucks, man. Isn't isn't your government like very anti jujitsu? Like it's illegal in Quebec to have tournaments, right? Well, yeah, that's uh, that's a whole other issue. That's like more, uh, but it's uh, like all political and money based, right? I don't think it even has anything to do with jujitsu and safety. Yeah. It's all about who's making the money and the like in their like federation. Really, and that's the only reason why it's really it's screwed up and crooked honestly yeah where like i think it basically started with two kind of like it, it basically started more with like mma promotions and then it leaked mm-hmm. and then like jujitsu got like thrown into it as well where it's like oh well where you can't have price fighting and mm-hmm. and somehow jujitsu got linked into that because you know like we're all price fighters here yeah i didn't know i was i should have been getting paid all those competitions like <laughs> yeah actually, <it's, laughs> It's ridiculous, but uh, we wanted to yeah. ask you uh, before before we wrap up this evening. What's going on in New York City with uh, you know some of the some of the things that are going on there <laughs> with Andrew Cuomo? Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, 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 
Some of that guy. Uh, <laughs> so, so New York City politics have a long history of being run by like actual gangsters. Um, <laughs> and, like, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I don't think Andrew Cuomo is. Um, I don't think he's anything new, to be honest. It's it's a dude. The guy was found threatening uh, another Democratic lawmaker. Um, he was like on the phone he said like if you don't cover up so there was a whole scandal about the cover up of like COVID deaths that Cuomo I don't think he did it deliberately Cuomo sent people back into nursing homes which he shouldn't have done but I don't think it was like a deliberate attempt to kill people but what was fucked up is he covered he covered it up he covered up mm-hmm. that he he did it he covered up the deaths and it's like bro you, you can't do that that's I'm pretty sure that's illegal and then uh, I'm not a legal expert but I, I would guess it is and this other Democratic lawmaker was like, he was basically threatened by Cuomo. He's like, I will destroy your career. And I don't know if you guys know, there is a hilarious back and forth between our mayor, Bill de Blasio, and our governor, Andrew Cuomo, where they're both Democrats, but they hate each other. So like they're always taking <laughs> Yeah, like it's it's so petty. Like I forget which one, I forget who did what, but like one of them wanted to open up New York City schools. I think it was Bill de Blasio. He wanted to open up New York City schools. And he said, we're opening up New York City schools. Andrew Cuomo the next day was like, we're not opening up New York City schools. <laughs> and it's like they're just going after each other. Like uh, and Cuomo is just he's just very clearly crooked, you know? But it's I do not personally I hope something happens, but I don't think anything will happen. I don't think anything I don't think anything's gonna happen. He's gonna Cuomo's gonna go on his stupid, you know, conversations with his brother on TV. His brother's a <laughs> CNN uh, anchor. I think, he, I think he's piece. actually banned from doing that now. They banned oh, him, yeah. They actually banned oh, nice. him. So he's not allowed to talk to his brother because there's because like how biased is that like you can't like it's like me doing like uh it's like aaron like doing like a political interview with me it's like come on (laughs) so mike what is your uh platform for uh you know getting out of covid in in canada like if 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 anyone is listening to this and if anyone is interested in new york city political history (laughs) i don't know why anyone would that. if you're interested like if you look up like boss tweed and like the early like that's like in the 20s and stuff and like he was like a crooked guy that all new york city politicians had to like work with like i i don't really think new york city politics has changed that much whereas like there's a lot of like crookedness and uh i think cuomo is just he's just a continuation of that and like it's personally you know from my perspective it's been hilarious to watch because like i he everybody knows in New York. I've never met anyone in New York that actually likes the guy. Like nobody likes Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how is this guy here? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, and it's been. I loved watching this. Uh, just the downfall of him. But like, I don't know. I don't know if anything will actually happen. But yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Well, he won it. He won an Emmy and he beat COVID apparently. So the guy, the guy wrote a book. This guy is so, it's just insane to me. He wrote a book about how well he handled the COVID crisis while he was simultaneously involved with the cover up of COVID deaths. That's like, that's like, like, uh, if you're like a little kid 
and like you you like fucking destroy something in the the living room before your mom gets home and then you, you write like, uh, like a, a letter to your mom about how good a job you did taking care of the house <laughs> like, like, like no actually you didn't like it's a good analogy awful. this is a really good analogy actually I like that. it's like good it's like play. saying like i i uh i did a really bad job taking care of the house i burned it down but i did a really good job of putting out the fire we're at, we're yeah. actually in a wrap up the last question i like to ask we usually talk about canadian cities but we're gonna i'm gonna mention american ones with you what is the i wouldn't say your least favorite but what's the worst city in the united states that you've been to and why is it east (laughs) East st louis uh i don't i don't want to say the worst because i don't want to i have a worse city but i don't want to shit on it i, I feel bad i i mainly disliked it because i was just being negative that weekend so i don't want to roast it <laughs> <laughs> totally fair totally fair. yeah sorry so <laughs> it's a lame saying, answer i know it, so it's east st louis then okay <laughs> <laughs> i've never i've never been to missouri so i have no idea that's that's in missouri right don't go there. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, I won't. <laughs> Don't go in I never there. Had, I never had any attention to, so, yeah. <laughs> we, we've had, right. I've had to, we, me and Aaron have had a mutual friend who's uh, who's lived in St. Louis, and he's like, yeah, when you leave St. Louis, you when you leave downtown, you go home and lock your windows and you just take off and hopefully you don't you don't catch a stray bullet on the way home oh my god Uh, yeah i definitely won't go there now (laughs) and then then even even worse that's downtown st louis east st louis they actually have police officers on a bridge on the weekend to make sure you don't go there (laughs) they're like no mm -mm, go back (laughs) why are you coming here turn the fuck around get out of here So, Do you have experience with this? It sounds like you've been there. <laughs> personally, no. I've been to Washington, D.C., though, and there, okay. I had some experience there, to say the least, yeah. where I'm driving in, and, you know, it's kind of like the old Dave Chappelle bit where, uh, you know, you're in the hood when you see a fucking baby on the corner at, like, 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I literally saw a fucking baby on the corner at 2 a.m. I'm like, God. who the fuck am I? I'm in a war what? zone. There's, like, barbed wire, like, on my motel. I'm... <laughs> I'm what like, was he doing? It was just a baby by himself, just like on the sidewalk. Yeah, it was just, or no, it was like it was like a family just out for a walk. It was like oh, the middle of the okay, night. Okay, okay, okay. I thought it was like it was just a child, like on his own. <laughs> the Dave Chappelle bit's like there's just a baby just chilling on the corner. It's like oh, I, I have seen that. That's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, you know, you're, just the, you're just in the. It's the middle of the hood. Yeah. Well, Rob, I do want to thank you very much for jumping on the podcast with us today and taking the time. We do appreciate it. Is there anybody you want to shout out or sponsorships you want to shout out before we tag it off? Not really. No. um, Unfortunately, don't have any current sponsors. I've had some offers, but they weren't very good. So (laughs) I don't have any current sponsors. Sponsored by nobody. All y'all suck. (laughs) If anybody wants to to sponsor me, DM me. But like, just know, like, if it's a terrible offer, I'm not going to do it. Like, some of these offers are like, you guys wouldn't even believe it. You're like, you want me to do what for what? Like, no. Like, I need money. Like, <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like us at our, our on our sponsorship end. It's like, yeah, kind of like you know, I have a kid to feed, so yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cash works in all ways, but I get it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, well, cash rules everything around me. Get the cream, that's... dollar dollar bills, y'all. <laughs> there you go. It's a, 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 something to live life by. 
Uh, but yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. No, thank you so much for jumping on. We wish you all the best, especially out there. And I hope mm -hmm. to have you on soon, especially after um, maybe we get out of COVID and all this situational shit, and then we yeah. figure out other stuff. Yeah, for sure. Anytime you guys want to have me on, I'm, I'm definitely down. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Absolutely. Pre thanks a lot, my man. Appreciate no you coming on tonight or morning or afternoon or <laughs> yeah. wherever you are listening to this right now. <laughs> See you guys. Thanks again.